welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 91, part one of the talk given by Richard Rohr, entitled, Everything is Gift. is uh, everything is a gift. Now we all know that, I hope we do, with our logical mind, but that's not the mind that matters. There's a different mind that includes the whole self, and that's the mind that has to know that everything's a gift. And we always need in prayer practice to find ways to go to that truer self, that deeper self, that prayer self, that contemplative self, so the cells of our body know that everything is a gift. Recently I was attending a a class by a Jewish rabbi in New Mexico where I live, and he taught me something that I was really ashamed I had not learned years ago. I don't know why none of my scripture professors never told me this, but he pointed out that the unspeakable name for God that they were not allowed even to pronounce, we pronounce it Yahweh. Uh, As you perhaps know, uh, when Hebrew is written, you only write the consonants and you fill in the vowels. They're not written. You know what the vowels are. That much I knew, but he pointed out to me that this word, this unspeakable word for God, which can give you the impression that you have God captured, that you have the name for God, that you understand God. And he said the Jewish people, we had to be taught a foundational humility around the mystery of God. So we never presumed we understood like too often we do. And that's why we couldn't pronounce it. But it gets better than that. He said, do you realize that even in the spelling and in the pronunciation, the three different consonants that are used in the spelling of the word Yahweh are the only Hebrew consonants that do not allow you to close your lips. Yah. I almost wept. I realized what they were saying, what they were realizing so deeply, that um, God was uncapturable in any form, even by our words, even by our mouth, and that this God was as available as the air inside and outside of your lungs. And the only thing that you have done ever since the moment you came out of your mother's womb 
is you have taken in that breath. You have inhaled and you have exhaled. And that moment will come with the last inhalation and the last exhalation. But in between, there is something that is always happening, always available, always accessible. Without it, there is no life. And he pointed out that what the Hebrew tradition was saying was that God is as available, as accessible, as free as the very air. And still, we cannot see the very theme of our weekend. Maybe we cannot see, maybe we cannot feel the universal gratitude that proceeds from this awareness because it has remained largely in the head, a doctrine of belief, but not an experiential knowing. D.H. Lawrence said, you can do whatever you want with a belief, but an experience does something with you. You're not in control anymore. The experience is. And I think why we see in so many parts of the world why institutional religion in all of its forms, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, the great monotheistic religions, all seem to have come to a kind of impasse. There's almost more reaction against them than there is happy, joyous, free participation within them. We say, how do we get to this point? I think at least one reason is, in terms of our theme today, we try to be grateful with our head. You can't. You got to be grateful with your whole being. You can't know this mystery by head knowledge. You have to know in a deeper way. Now, I, in my own teaching, have tried to distinguish and will develop it more tomorrow between what I call the calculative mind, the normal mind that judges and critiques and analyzes and fixes or tries to fix, and the contemplative mind. And every religion at its more mature levels teaches some form of meditation, contemplation. Our, our normal word for it has just been prayer. But that's the self that can know that everything is a gift. The logical mind, your logical mind, mine, it will think of all kinds of things that are not gifts. It'll think of all kinds of things to complain about that aren't uh, like we think they should be. As long as you stay there, you won't get very far in this realm of spirituality that we're talking about today. And that's why it's been so important to have music and mime to some way try, although it's hard to do with Christians, to get them out of their heads. Because <laughs> we're convinced that we can solve the problem up here. And I want to convince you, you can't. <laughs> this only becomes a control tower. That's really what it is. The mind does not really search for truth. It search for, searches for control. It wants to know where it is. On the, in the pecking order of everything. So God has to lead you to a different and a deeper and a broader place. That's why I said this morning only things like birth and death are strong enough to do it. 
very often suffering in some form. Every other way, you'll try to figure it out. You know, you probably think, being a public speaker, that it must be great to be standing up here and be in control of 700 and some people. But I want to tell you something. I'm not really in control. You are. Oh, yeah, I'm sitting here talking. But 700 and some minds are sitting out there looking at me, deciding moment by moment whether they like what I'm saying. (laughs) Whether they agree with it, their mind can easily dismiss it and say, oh, that's too liberal, that's too conservative, that's too Catholic, that's too Protestant. My gosh, he's even mentioning Jews. Maybe Maybe he's Jewish. That's what the mind does. It just keeps going around searching for control, searching for preeminence. Now that's why the spiritual teachers always say that if you're going to get very far, you cannot judge. The judging mind, quite simply, is the mind looking for control, not looking for truth. So actually when you stand up here, and I know many of you have experienced it if you've been in a public speaking situation, it's actually a very vulnerable situation because you know hundreds of minds are liking you and disliking you, loving you and rejecting you moment by moment. If you're not free to accept all of that positive and negative energy, you, you, you wilt before the event. So you have to try to find a different place from which to speak. A different place in a certain way that doesn't care too much uh, whether everybody agrees or everybody likes it. And that's that deeper place of gratitude that we're going to try to describe. The attitude of gratitude where something is so good and so right and so okay that all of the other little complexities and complications and rejections don't bother you that much anymore. That's where I want you all to be by the time you leave here tomorrow. That's why we don't so much say prayers, brothers and sisters, as eventually we become a prayer. And when you stand in that place of communion, what Merton would have called the true self, when you stand consciously in that place of conscious union with God, then the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, the judgments and criticisms of people, they still hurt a little bit, but not so much. Because you know who you are apart from this horizontal game of what do people think of me. There in that world, you'll never be grateful. You won't. So we've got to get you to a different world. Now let me try to develop it in this way. Uh, We're going to come back to the prayer theme tomorrow, which is really the only place to learn the different mind, the different consciousness, the different stance in this world. But I'm going to describe it for now as two different worldviews. There's the worldview of entitlement that begins with, as most Westerners begin, certainly most Americans, I deserve. It's very deep in most of us. I have a right to. I have earned. Now, if that's your starting place, you're never going to get to the attitude of gratitude. You'll never be able to know 
that everything is a gift. Because when you start with, I have a right to, I deserve, and I'm afraid we do see it, certainly in our younger people, almost as a way of life. The older folks who had to suffer a lot more for what they got don't, don't tend to move to that sense of entitlement quite so quickly. But when you start there, you start, of course, with an awareness of your incompleteness. I don't have. I am not. And so always your happiness appears to be over there in another person's response to you or in another possession or, or uh, fancier clothes. or uh, It's always outside yourself. And brothers and sisters, happiness is always an inside job. Right? There is nothing outside the self that can give you substantial happiness. It can only come from within. By that union, that communion with the Holy One, with all things, whereby uh, you draw upon the deepest level of reserves and resources by yourself. You don't need all of these other things to tell you who you are, to tell you that you're important or that you're, you're needed or loved. You're drawing your love from that deeper place that we talked about this morning. That's a secret to spirituality. All the rest is just words until that happens. And until you switch engines, if I can put it that way, and stop drawing upon this Richard self, small self, horizontal self, that self will always feel inadequate. And it is. It well should be. It has no metaphysical substance, we would say philosophically. That's what doesn't exist. The true self is who you are in God and who God is in you. That self begins not by a sense of incompleteness, but begins with a sense of completeness. It's already okay. I have all I need. Now, on some level, I have to believe that every one of you in this room has experienced that on some level, or I don't know why you'd even come to a day like this. Huh? Why would you search for spirituality? As a general rule of thumb, all spiritual knowledge is recognition, not cognition. You don't know it. You say, I already know that. It's a discovery of something that has already been spoken within you. Some have said a, a true spiritual teacher, therefore, is a midwife. They're pulling the baby out of you. They're naming the divine indwelling, the presence of the spirit that's already there, but you often don't know it. The best compliment I ever get after a conference or retreat, and it doesn't sound like a compliment at all when they first say it, but very often, it'll probably happen here, too. Someone will come up, and they'll say, Richard, you know, I listen to you all weekend, and you say things a little different sometimes. and Sometimes they scare me a little bit. But on a deeper level, you didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. That's the best compliment I get. You already know this if it's true. If it's real, and if it's good, and if it's from God, all a spiritual teacher can do, 
All a preacher can do is awaken it and say, come out, come out, it's there. And that's why true faith knowledge has, has such conviction to it. Because you're not just believing the word of the preacher. It's like all the preacher does is touch the deeper awareness and you confirm people's deepest intuitions and then you don't say, Richard told me, but hopefully next week you'll be saying, I know, <laughs> I know. Speak for yourself. I have experienced and I have come to know, I have come and seen the beautiful theme of our whole retreat. So, in contradistinction to the worldview of entitlement, which always leads to a sense of scarcity, zero sum, there's never going to be enough, there's never going to be enough, fear, anxiety, greed, competition, comparison, you could say all of the capital sins, in a certain sense, come from this foundational fragility of, of the human soul apart from God. It's intrinsically insecure. It's intrinsically unhappy. It's intrinsically ungrateful. I deserve that. I needed that. If, if you still need something outside yourself to be happy, I don't think you're ever going to be happy. Because <laughs> even when you get it, you know what's going to happen? You're going to realize it didn't satisfy you. Because it can't. It's outside you. And so what you'll do is you'll up the ante. The alcoholics say it very well. They say you always need more and more of what doesn't work. Hmm? That's the nature of all addiction. Any of you who are addictive workers, you understand most people are addictive in some area. And they just keep thinking, okay, last week's dress didn't do it. I'll go to a fancier store. I'll pay 20 more pounds. You know? When I put on that dress, I'll feel like a million dollars, as they say. You probably won't. I can tell you ahead of time and save you the money. Huh? <laughs> if you don't feel like a million dollars before you put on that dress, you're not going to feel afterwards. All right? And what we sell out for so much is this world of forms, forms. You're going to become infatuated and addicted to forms if you haven't experienced substance. Even religious forms and, and much of Immature religion is exactly that, just getting all lost in, in creating the container and never getting to the second half of life, what I call the contents. And everybody just fights over, my container's better than your container. Who cares? You know? <laughs> have you experienced the contents? Most, most denominations have divided over the forms, over the container. And you want to ask people in both cases, have you experienced the contents? Have you experienced the substance? And there's almost a perfect correlation between your preoccupation with forms and window dressing and externals and rituals and legalities and your lack of experience of the real thing. The real thing satisfies at a level that satisfies. Jesus calls it the peace the world cannot give. No one else can give it except this experience of union with God. And the world can't take it away from you. The peace the world cannot take. That's what it's all about. I know without knowing you personally 
that that's what every human being wants. It's what we were created for. There's, as many have said, there's this God-shaped hole inside of us. And so God gives us just enough of God, that's the indwelling presence, and it becomes like a homing device. It makes you satisfied with nothing less than God. And everything else always disappoints, always disappoints. It's okay, it's a tease, that's all. You know? It's a little sample. God keeps giving us free samples. But you always know it's, it's not yet the real thing. It's only to draw you onward, onward. And eventually, by the middle of life, hopefully you find out what it is you really desire. That's much of my work in spiritual direction. Getting people in touch with the deepest level of the, their desire. And what they think they desire and what they really desire is, is very often two different things. The deepest desiring, ironically, doesn't come out of emptiness. It comes out of fullness. So the other thing, opposed to the worldview of entitlement, is the worldview of abundance. The worldview of sufficiency. The worldview of that, it's okay. Everything I need is right here, right now. I want to be honest with you. I've only tasted this in great part. I think I tasted it in small part as a young boy, and it's probably why I became a Franciscan and a priest. But now as I get older, I, I'm learning how to live there. Like when I go on these trips, like I left home a little over two weeks ago. So I know basically once I leave home, I'm in other people's hands. I'm subject to missed connections and whatever else, you know. So I have to say, okay, God, whatever happens, it's okay. Now, I don't always live up to that, I promise you. But if I can say that, if I can mean that, that you're in this and you're in that, you're in the missed plane, you're in the uh, not-so-friendly person, uh, you're in the person who wakes you up in the middle of the night or whatever it might be, somehow, God, you have a lesson for me in that. When I can live that way, I am happy. I mean, it's amazing. By the middle of life, you all have to decide, and I think Christians have a hard time deciding this, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And what you find, I think, and I'm sure I'm speaking of Americans much more than English, but most Americans want to be right. They don't want to be happy. It's written all over their face. They don't want to be happy because they let everything make them miserable, you know? Because I'm so often in airports, you know, I feel so sorry for these poor girls at the gate or who are giving you your boarding pass because their plane was delayed for half an hour. You know, they come and they yell at this poor young woman. She has no control over the plane. But you've got to scapegoat somebody. You know, if you're not happy in here, you've got to make other people unhappy with you for some reason. you just got to pull them into the mud. That's, that's a large percentage of people I've ever known. All great religion is about what you do with your pain. And if you do not transform your pain, Right hand raised, I swear this to you to be true. If you do not transform your pain, you will always transmit it. With 100% certitude, 
You will transmit it to your children, to your husband, to your parish, to England, to the society, to the neighborhood that you're a part of. Everybody else has to deal with your garbage because you yourself have not held it like Jesus did as he held his pain and let it transform him. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximize your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose, and joy. So God bless and stay safe.